Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, ratchetandratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 90. To my amazement and delight, Emily did not leave as soon as she had delivered her gift. She stayed on for the next few days. I was in heaven. I showed her the work we were doing to fortify the town. The perimeter defense is a sharpened stake, strong enough to repel a certain charge. The battle stations high in the trees, from where we could rain arrows and stones on any attackers. She saw the passion with which I urged my friends and neighbors to resist, and she heartily approved. In between, I treated her to the best sights of our village, the lily pond in the woods where I like to swim, a field high in the hills where sunflowers ran wild in the summer. And she helped me at the end. I showed her how to fit logs into a support column with pegs and joints. She helped me hoist up a log as a support beam. Then we carved her initials into the woods. M.C. Hammer, hammer, hammer. <clears throat> I knew this fantasy would have to come to an end. Soon she will leave. Yet she seemed comfortable. So I allowed myself to pretend that Emily would not be missed and looked for. That it was safe here, free from attack that something unthinkable was happening between us. It was on a warm afternoon a few days later that I tossed down my tools before noon. Come. I took Emily by the hand. It's not a day to be working. I want to show you a beautiful place. Please, my lady. I took her up into the hills, past the knoll where Sophie and Philip lay. The sun beat deliciously against our skin. High above town, an open meadow stretched out the tall grass golden under the blue sky. It's gorgeous, Emily exclaimed, her eyes soaking in every burst of blue and flash of gold. She flung herself down the field and fanned her arms and legs into the shape of a star. Come here, Hugh. This is heaven, she patted the grass next to her. I lay down beside her. Her soft blonde hair fell off her shoulders, and I could see the hint of breast peeking from the neckline of her dress. My blood was running wild, and it terrified me for obvious reasons. Tell me, I said, propping myself up on my elbow, what does the C stand for? The C? Your family name. It was on the box you gave me, and the initials we called into the N. I know nothing about you, who you are, where you're from, your family. Are you concerned, she said with a laugh, that I may not be a high enough match for you? Of course not. I just... I was born in Paris, if you must know. I'm the fourth child with two brothers and a sister, all older. My father's remarkable, but not for the reasons you may suspect. He is a noble, that much I know. A member of the royal court? He is important, leave it at that, and educated, but sometimes his vision is as narrow as a fly's. You're the baby, I winked, and yet you have wandered away from the nest. The nest is not always a welcome place, Emily looked away, at least not for a woman down the pecking order. What is there for me except to be educated in lofty arts and concepts I will never use? Or to be married off or gained to some old sod twice my age? Can you see me entertaining and receiving gifts from gassy old coots? I have met only two duchesses, I said, beaming, and you outshine them both in beauty and heart. She put her palm against mine, and we held it there for a moment in silence. Then Emily pushed me away. Make me laugh, will you? Make you laugh? 
Yes, you were a jester. Quite a decent one, her eyes shined. Come on, it shouldn't be hard for you. It's not so easy, I protested. I mean, you just don't blurt out a joke in a place like this and have it succeed. Are you embarrassed then? With me? Come, she pinched my arm. It's only us. I will close my eyes and all the world it should not be so hard to know what will make me smile. Emily closed her eyes with her chin raised. I stared at her face, the delicate yellow hair falling off her shoulder. I felt my breath come to a halt. She was incredibly lovely and kind, generous, smart as a whip. All of a sudden, there was nothing between us. No words, no barriers, just our two beating hearts. Two hearts that beat as one. Two of hearts. I need you. I need you. I placed my hand on her hip. Then she dipped. I dipped. We dipped. Nervously, I prayed she would not take offense. I moved it up her side, over the curve of her waist. She made no mood to resist. I felt the strangest urge come over me. My breath was tight, my spine tingling. Had I felt this from the start? From the first moment I opened my eyes and saw her face? I moved my hand over her shoulder and let it fall gently against the round of her breast. I felt her heart quiver. I had felt this only once before, yet here it was again. Slowly, I placed my mouth upon her lips. Emily did not resist, only moved closer, her mouth softly parting. Our tongues seemed to merge and dance as softly as clouds meeting in the sky. She put her hand on my cheek, her breath as heavy as my own. Her skin smelled of lavender and balsam. In the warm rush of our kiss, I felt a new world open to me. In a breath, we pulled away. She smiled. You take advantage of me. I was warned to such country boys. Tell me to wake up, I said. I know I'm in a dream. Wake up then. She placed her hand upon my heart. And know that this is real. My own heart almost exploded with joy. I could not believe what was happening. Then I heard the loud peal of church bells coming from town. Chapter 91 I knew such a sound was a call of warning. My mind jolted back to reality. I frantically rose to my knees and looked down toward the village. I saw no riders, no sign of panic yet. We were not under attack. But a crowd was forming in the square. Something had happened. Come, I pulled Emily up. We have to get back. We ran down the hill as fast as we could. As soon as I got within earshot of the town, I heard my name shouted. George's ran up to me. Hugh, they're coming. Men from Boray are on the way. I looked at Emily, then back at George's. How do you know this? Someone is here to warn us. Come, quick, in the church. He looks for you. George's ran with me into the main square. The town had assembled there, and voices rang out, panicked and afraid. I pushed through a crowd around the church and came upon a young man resting on the steps. No more than sixteen, panting, clearly out of breath. When he saw me, he stood up and eyed me. You're Hugh, the boy said. I can tell by your red hair. I am, I answered. He looked vaguely familiar. You came from Bore? Yes, the boy nodded. I have run the whole way. I am sent by your friend Norbert, the jester. Norbert sent you? I went up to him and stood close. What news do you bring? He said to tell you that they're coming, for everyone to prepare. I must try to go back, Emily said, clutching my arm. I must tell them it's a mistake. 
You cannot. The boy shook his head, alarmed. Norbert said, you must not return. That Stephen knows you're here. You were followed. The Duke's guard is on the way. They'll be here tonight, perhaps. Latest tomorrow. Frantic cries rose in the crowd. A woman fainted. Martin the tailor pointed at me. Now what? This is your work, Hugh. What are we to do? Fight, I shouted back. This is what we expected. There was whimpering and worried faces. Wives sought out their husbands and clutched children to their bosoms. We are prepared, I said. These men come to take away what is ours. We will not bow down to them. Dread hung over the crowd. Then Otto stepped forward. He looked around, tapped the head of his hammer on the ground. I'm with you. So is my hammer. I'm with you too, said Alphonse. And my sharpened axe. And I, cried Apples. They ran towards their positions as the rest of the crowd remained still. Then others followed, one by one. I turned back to the messenger. How do I know you are who you say? That you come from Norbert. You say the Lady Emily was followed. This could be a trick. You know my face, Hugh. I'm Lucian, the baker's boy. I sought to apprentice with Norbert. Apprentices can be bought, I challenged him further. Norbert said you oppressed me, so he sent proof. Something of value to you that could come from no one other than him. He reached behind him on the church steps and unwound a woolen blanket. A smile curled on my face. Norbert was right. What the boy had brought was a great value to me. I had not seen it since I left Bore in the middle of the night. Lucian was holding my staff. Chapter 92 In the next few hours, the town bustled with a purpose I had not seen before. Bells of sharpened stakes were dragged to positions just inside the stone bridge and driven into the ground. Sacks filled with rocks were readied in the trees. Those who could shoot sharpened their arrows and stocked their quivers. Those who could not sat with hoes and mallets in their hands. By the time night fell, everyone was nervous but prepared. The plan was for old folks and some of the women and young children to flee to the woods before the first sign of trouble. I told Emily she had to go too. But when the time came, no one would leave. I'm staying with you, Emily shook her head. She had torn her dress at the hem and sleeves and moved about more easily. I can stack arrows. I can distribute arms. These men are killers, I said, trying to reason with her. They'll make no distinction between noble and common. This is not your fight. You're wrong. The distinction between noble and common is clear here today, she replied with that same unbending resolve as when she rescued me of Bore. And it has become my fight. I left her stacking rocks and ran to the first defenses at the bridge. Alphonse and Apples were tightening the rope. How many will come? Alphonse asked. I do not know, I said. Twelve, twenty, maybe more. Enough to do what it takes. I took my station on the second floor of the tailor's house, near the entrance to town. From there, I could oversee the defense. I had a sword, an old clunker sharpened to a T. My stomach was in knots. Now all that was left to do was wait. Emily met me towards evening. We sat against the wall, her head resting on my shoulder. I felt what I had always known about her. She gave me strength. Whatever happened, she said, tightening against me, I am glad to be here with you. I don't know how to explain, but I feel you have a destiny in front of you. When the Turk spared me, I thought it was just to make people laugh, I chuckled. And you became a jester. Yes, thanks to you. Not me. Emily pulled away and looked at me. You. 
It is you that have the quarter bore eating out of your hand. But now I think God has found you a higher purpose. I think this is it. I pressed her tightly to my body, feeling her breasts against my ribs, the cadence of her heart. In my loins, I felt desire spark. We looked at each other, and something told me, unspoken, that this was right. She was where she belonged, and so was I. I do not want to die, Emily said, and never know what it's like to be with you. I won't let you die, I cupped her fist. She lowered herself onto me and we kissed. Not as before, with the thrill of friendship turning into something more, but deeper, more forcefully. The tempo of Emily's breath began to quicken. I put my hands under her dress and felt the smoothness of her stomach. My skin jumped alive all over. She raised herself on my lap. We looked in each other's eyes and there was no hesitation. I love you, I told her. From the first, there was no doubt. See, he loved her even when he thought that his wife was still alive. (sighs) There was a doubt, she whispered, but I loved you too. She lowered herself on top of me and gasped as I came inside of her. Already? Dang. Soon she was calm and at ease. I held her by the hips and we rocked. Her eyes lit with pleasure, and my skin grew heated and damp as we increased the pace. We were eye to eye, rocking against time, a smile and a sheen of ardor on her face. Oh, Hugh, she squeezed her pelvis into me. I do love you. At last she cried out, a body-tremoring moan. I held her close to me and squeezed her shoulders as if I would never let go. She trembled once more in my arms. Do not wake me, she said with a sigh, for I am in the midst of a most marvelous dream. She buried her face in my chest, and I could have stayed like that forever. I looked out at the moon and thought, what miracle is it that I have found this woman? I want to hold her and protect her with all my heart, as she had risked everything to protect me. Is this why I had been saved? I could ask no better purpose. Then I heard a shout and an alarm cry. A chilling, far-off rumble came from the earth. I ran to the window. A fiery arrow arced towards us across the sky. The lookout signal. I looked at Emily, the calm of a moment ago replaced by a stabbing dread. They are here. Chapter 93 Black Cross's men stood just outside the sleeping town. The moonless night covered their approach. They had ridden for the better part of two days, barreling at full speed, knocking people and carts out of their way as they charged through tiny forest towns. He knew that the hard journey only heightened their eagerness for blood. From up ahead, a scout crept back from the woods. The village sleeps, my lord. It is ripe for attack. And their defenses? Morgan inquired. Only one, the scout smirked. They have piled their shit in the road so high our horses may not see. Morgan chuckled. This would be child's play. Babe slaughtered in their sleep. He had sought this beetle all the way from Antioch. Now he was only minutes from holding his prize. The greatest of them all. The insect would not get away again. Morgan said to his men, whoever finds the prize will have a castle waiting for him on his return. Kill who you have to. Fuck who you like. Just find the redhead. Run a blade up his ass and bring the worm to me. His men's eyes lit up. Since it's eager for battle, they applied their breastplates and shoulder pieces over their riding leathers. 
They chose their arms, maces and pikes and heavy swords. They donned their steel beaded gloves. In a few moments, they would turn the sleepy mound of dung into a slop of blood. They fitted on their helmets. Bright eyes glinted through the slits. Morgan's lieutenant signaled him. What orders, sir? Level it, Morgan said evenly. Every home, every child. Other than the innkeeper, nothing lives. I want nothing left, and that includes the Lady Emily. The toffer nodded. At Morgan's nod, he gave the signal to charge. Chapter 94 The floor shook beneath my feet. The rumble of hooves grew louder and louder, like an avalanche approaching fast. I ran into the street. People stuck their heads out from their positions, looks of terror building in their eyes. Do not panic, I urged them. They think this will be child's play. Everyone remember the plan. Inside, I felt the grinding fist of fear that must now be intensifying in everyone's guts. I hurried towards Alphonse and Apples, bracing the rope on both sides of the bridge. I told them, remember what they did to your friends and family the last time they were here. Remember what you swore in your hearts you would do to them if you ever had the chance. Now is that chance. The thundering noise had ridden to a terrifying level. I could not tell if the noise crashing through me was the drum of approaching hooves or my heart beating out of control. Finally, we saw them. A black cloud bearing down on us from out of the woods, torches in hand, 12 to 14, howling cries of death. A spark of hope flared in me. The town was dark. I knew they could not see our defenses. Hold tight, I hollered as the horses neared. My words were drowned in the advancing roar. The first line of horsemen galloped over the bridge, straightened to the tautness of the rope. The horses came down in a tangle. The lead riders were pitched into the air. With a scream, one was hurled headlong into the sharpened stakes and impaled through the chest, his limbs outstretched and twitching. The other catapulted off his mount, landing on his neck, his body trampled under the advancing hooves. Seeing the ambush, the next line of marauders attempted to stop, but their speed was too great. A third rider fell, screaming, then another. I saw Odo leap out from under the bridge and, as one struggled to right himself, swing his heavy club downward, smashing it into the man's head. His helmet caved in like tin. Buoyed by the sight, Apples dashed out as well, thrusting his sword through the other raider's neck. The torches carried by the fallen rider sent the wooden defenses up in flames. Horses whined and bucked. Arrows shot out from the trees, and two other riders hit the ground, pierced through the neck and head. The other marauders, seeing what had happened, regrouped on the bridge. Then they darted single file through the burning defenses in the town. Now toffers on horseback were in the streets, flinging torches into our homes. I waved my sword at the trees. Now, Jean, now! A dark shape fell out of the sky, hurtling across the road and crashing into one of the riders, knocking him off his mount with a loud groan. He remained there, stunned, pinned to the ground by the weight of his armor. I raised my sword and screamed into the slits of his helmet. This is for Sophie, you bastard. See what it's like to be killed by a fool. I crashed the sword down, penetrating cleanly through the seam above the chest plate. There, it remained embedded. I couldn't pull the sword free. For a moment, and even without a weapon, I felt exultant. This was working. People were fighting. Seven of the invaders were down, perhaps slain. Two more of them were off their horses, surrounded by townsmen pelting them with clubs and stones. They tried to fight in all directions, overwhelmed, thrashing at air. 
I watched as Alphonse climbed onto the back of one of the attackers and pushed a knife through the eye slit in his helmet. The toffer pitched forward. He thrashed back and forth, jabbing his mace, trying to twist the boy off. Another boy swatted a beam at the man's knees and sent him to the ground, where Alphonse jerked the blade across the bastard's neck, and soon he rolled over, dead. All around, people were screaming, running back and forth. A few riders made their way through town, hurling torches on their thatched roofs, which shot in a yellow flame. I counted only five invaders left, but five armed and deadly, still on their mounts. If we backed down now, they were enough to take the town. I started to run, weaponless, towards the square. Here, Emily yelled and tossed me my staff. Across the road, I saw poor Jackie, the ruddy-faced milkwoman, hurling stones at one attacker while another galloped from behind and knocked her to the ground with a mace. Arrow shot out of the tree, and the second attacker fell. He was immediately surrounded by townspeople, kicking and bashing him with clubs and farm tools. Suddenly, the square lit up in flames. Amy, the miller's daughter, and Father Leo had set fire to the line of brush ringing the square. The horses of the invaders reared. One rider was immediately thrown, landing in the flames. The others darted and circled, unable to break through. The fallen rider stood up, engulfed in flames. He thrashed about crazily, smoke pouring through the slits in his armor. Fire had seeped inside. His skin was boiling like a pot over a flame. Two other attackers remained trapped inside the ring of flame. One forces mount through, but Martin ran up and whacked the horse's legs. The rider clubbed at him, but was thrown from his mount. He flailed on the ground, struggling to right himself, his weapon out of reach. Then, from out of the darkness, Amy ran out. She raised an axe and crashed it solidly into the man's head. We were winning. The town continued to battle as only people clinging to their last hope could do. Still, two or three invaders remained. Then, to my horror, the last taffer who had been contained within the ring of fire burst free. He reared his steed and made his way, axe whirling towards Amy, who still stood staring at the man she had killed. Look out, Amy! I yelled. I started towards her, helplessly screaming at the top of my lungs. I couldn't bear to see the miller lose his last child. The girl did not move oblivious to the death descending upon her. I was twenty yards away, not thinking, running as fast as my feet will fly. The rider crouched in the saddle and raised his axe. Twenty feet away, I screamed, No! I reached right across angle, just as the taffer swung his axe. I swept Amy to the ground and covered her, expecting any moment to feel the blade of the axe buried in my back. But no blow came. The taffer galloped by, then reversed. He stood for a moment, tightening his reins, surveying the route of his fellows. I knew his mind. I had seen it many times in the crusade. It was a time of the battle when one knows all is lost. The only thing left is to fight whatever comes into your path and cause as much death and mayhem as possible until you too are taken down. I pushed Amy out of the square and raised myself to my feet. I stood there facing the attacker, nothing to defend myself but with my wooden staff. I didn't want to die here, but I would not run. The raider reared his giant horse and galloped into a charge. I stood my ground as a thundering shape barreled towards me. I braced myself and raised the staff. Chapter 95 As the charging horseman raised his axe, 
I darted to the side opposite his weapon. I swung my staff as hard as I could at his mount's legs. The animal neighed in pain, buckled, then threw its rider. The toffer hit the ground with a mighty crash and rolled over several times until he came to a stop ten feet from where I stood. His giant war axe had fallen to the side. I ran to grab the weapon. In the time it took to arm myself, the toffer had managed to right himself and draw his sword. Deus adjuvit, he taunted me in Latin. God aid me as I send this little rat tail back to his maker. By all means, God, look on, I replied in kind. He charged me with a ferocious roar. I could see him go high with his blade and met his blow, our weapons colliding with a loud clang. We stood there eye to eye, each trying to drive his blade into the other's neck, muscles straining to the limit. All of a sudden, the toffer jerked his knee into my groin. The air rushed out of me. I gasped and bent in two. In the same instant, he swept his sword towards my knees, and I summoned every sliver of strength to counter with the axe. Again, we faced each other, eyes blazing. He tried to headbutt me with the crown of his helmet, but I threw myself back. I stumbled, and the toffer leaped at me, swinging his blade back and forth with a maniacal fury. The toffer saw that I was slowed. He laughed. Come here, fairy. You look like you might want to fill a set of real balls. I crouched back warily. His sword was too quick. In this form of fighting, I was no match for him. The axe was clumsy and heavy in my weakened grasp. Come. He blew me a kiss. I looked him in the eye, panting heavily. I knew I would not be able to war off the blows much longer. I felt my legs wobble. I was out of strength. I searched my mind for any form of skill or trickery I had seen in the wars. Then one clicked in. It was crazy, desperate, not a soldier's, but a jester's trick. Why wait, I said, lowering the axe, pretending to be beaten, out of fight. What's wrong with now? I turned my back to him. I hoped I wasn't insane. I bent into a deep crouch, flipped up my tunic and let him see my rear. Come on, I said. I wait for a real man, but you're the only one here. I tossed the axe about four feet ahead of me. In my crouch, I saw him raise his sword and come. Just as he was about to run me through, I sprang into a forward flip. The toffer sliced the air where suddenly there was no person. His sword stuck in the soggy earth. I landed on my feet and in the same movement pivoted and grabbed the handle of the axe. I sprang back around as the surprised toffer struggled to free his sword. A look of panic spread over his face. This time it was I who laughed and blew him a kiss. I swung with all my might and sent the toffer's head hurling like a kicked ball. I sank to my knees, out of breath. Every muscle in my body felt as if it were about to explode. I dropped the axe, sucking precious air into my lungs. Then I rose and picked up my staff. As I did so, a snickering voice intoned, Well done, innkeeper, but you must conserve your kisses. You may need one or two over here. I turned. There was another toffer. He had a black cross painted on his helmet, but his visor was up, revealing a cold, scarred face that I thought I had seen before. But it was not the face I was focused on. The bastard was holding Emily. Chapter 96 Let her go, I told him. This isn't her fight. The toffer was large and strong, and he twisted Emily roughly by the hair with this sword etched into her neck. 
His dark hair was long and greasy and fell over his scarred face. A cross was burned into his neck. Let her go, he laughed. The toffer twisted Emily harder, but she's so pretty and sweet. What a treat she'll make for me, he inhaled her hair. Like you, I'm not used to sifting my pole through such high-born trash. I took a step towards him. What is it you want from me? I think you know, innkeeper. I think you know where we met once before, too. I focused on his hard, laughing eyes. Suddenly, the past rocketed through me. The church in Antioch. He was the bastard who had killed the Turk. You are the one doing these terrible deeds? The toffer grinned in recognition. You were free, innkeeper. Do you not remember? When I saw you last, you had an infidel about to plow your ass, but enough of old times. He forced Emily to her knees. I would be happy to let her go. You only have to hand over what is mine. Tell me what you want, I shouted. You've already taken everything I have. Not all, innkeeper. He forced Emily's chin up and edged a silvery blade along her neck. She sucked in a gasp. Where is it? Her future awaits. Where is what? I screamed. I looked at Emily, so helpless there. Anger flared in my blood. Do not toy with me, Red, the toffer glared. You were there in Antioch. The church, I saw you. You were no more praying than I was. Quick now, or I will ram my blade through her pretty skull. I was there. Suddenly it came clear to me. The cross, the gold cross I had stolen from the church. That is what this is all about. Why so many people had died. It is buried on the hill, I said. Let her go. It's yours. I will not barter with you. The toffer's face began to twitch with rage. Hand me what I want, or she will be pig slopping you next. Then take it. I stole it from the church. It was just a trinket to me. I don't even know what it is, what it signifies. Just let her go, and I'll bring the gold cross to you. Just let her go. Cross? I couldn't tell if it was confusion or rage that shook his lips. He dug the blade into Emily and spat. I don't want your fucking cross. Not if you take it from St. Peter's ass. You know very well what prize you hold. I don't know. My head was spinning. Panic shot through me. I don't have anything else. You must. He jerked Emily's head back. No, I cried. What else could it be? I looked at this monster. Black cross. He had killed Sophie. He had tossed my son into the flames. He had taken from me everything I loved. And now he would do it again. And for what? For a thing I did not have. Whatever it is, is it worth following me all the way back from the Holy Land? Slaughtering innocent villages and children, my wife and my child? It is. His eyes lit up. These souls are meaningless compared to it, and a thousand more like your wife and seed. Now, innkeeper, he yelled, or I'll rid the world of yet another you claim to love. No, I shook my head, at first numbly and then with rage. You will not take anything else from me. I looked at Emily. Her eyes bravely met mine. I knew if I charged him, he would not kill her. It was me the toffer needed. I was a path to his precious prize, not her. He would not risk leaving himself unguarded. I gripped my staff firmly in my palms. It was all I had, this stick against his sword, and my hands. 
and my will. In the next breath, I screamed and charged the bastard. I swung my staff at him with everything I had. In the same instant, Black Cross flung Emily aside and readied himself for my blow. He was huge and agile and blocked it easily with his sword. What is this prize, I screamed, smashing and flailing my staff at all angles, that you will murder people who have never even heard of it? Was it worth my wife? My little son? Or even the most worthless soul you stamped out in your way? I swung at him again and again, for Sophie, for Philip. Each blow crashed harmlessly against his sword. I thought my staff would surely split, or that any moment I'll feel the sword run through my gut. Is this... A pretend, Jester? Do you mock me again to explain the meaning of the prize you stole? He forced me backwards and began advancing, swinging his sword with half strength and forcing me to block the blows with the staff, the wood rattling in my grasp. I do not have it, I shouted. I never have. You're mistaken. He swung at my legs and I darted back. His sword chipped slivers of wood off my staff. You were there, Jester. The church in Antioch. We all sought it out. Do you think those nobles were fighting for the souls of a few nuns? You were there for what, Jester? Mass? You try to tell me you didn't know that the relic you fought the infidel for, which lay for centuries in that vault, was not the same used to sacrifice our Lord and stain with his holy blood? I had no idea what he was talking about. He cut at my torso. I blocked it again, the blade slicing against my hand, but it was only a matter of time before he landed the blow that would do me in. Did you sell it? Have you profited by some Jew? If you have, your death will only be more warranted. He swung again, this time knocking me backward to the ground, shattering another piece of my staff, which I barely held up now in defense. My knuckles bled. My mind ricocheted back and forth. I do not have it. I swear. He swung again, the brute force of his blow almost breaking the staff in two. I knew it could sustain only a few more hits. I heard shouts behind me. Emily was screaming. She tried to leap on him and ward him off, but he flung her across the ground as if she were a toy. The toffer's eyes flashed. Give it to me, thief. Now. For in another minute, you will surely be in hell. If I am, I said, whacking my stick at him, it will only be to welcome you. I was done. Out of breath and strength, I blocked his blows, but each one hacked a little farther into the staff. I wanted with all my heart to kill this man, for Sophie, for Philip, but I didn't have the strength. He kicked me into a ditch off the road. I looked about for a weapon, anything to fight him. He raised his sword above my head. I give you this final chance, he grunted. Produce it. You can still go free. I have nothing, I yelled at him. Can't you see that? He came down with his sword. I think I closed my eyes, for I knew this last desperate defense would not hold. A chunk of my staff shattered. To my astonishment, a patch of metal showed through. Black Cross slashed me again and again, yet each time the staff miraculously held. The wooden rod split open like a casing, revealing something underneath. Iron. My eyes clung to it. I was staring at the long, rusted shaft of an ancient spear. 
The toffer stopped, his gaze transfixed. The spear shaft led to a molding in the shape of an eagle, a Roman eagle. The blade that came from it, dark, blunt, rusted, was encrusted with a blood-like stain. Good Lord in heaven, I heard myself gasp. I blinked twice to make sure I wasn't in heaven already. My staff, the wooden staff I had taken from the church in Antioch from the dying priest's hands, it wasn't a staff at all. It was a lance. Chapter 98 I do not know how to describe what happened next. Time seemed to stand still. Neither of us moved, held by the incredible sight. Whatever this was, I could tell by the toffer's stupefied amazement that the lance was what he had sought all along. Now, miraculously, it was in front of him. His eyes were as large as moons, though it was rusted and dulled, just a common thing, a glow seemed to emanate from it. Suddenly, he lunged for it. I yanked it out of his reach. He was still above me with all the advantage. He reared back his sword. I had no defenses. He would surely split my chest this time. I thrust with the only thing I had. The lance. The blade split his mail and pierced his ribs. Black Cross cried out. His dark eyes opened wide, but even with the lance in him, he did not stop. He went to raise the sword again. I pushed the lance in deeper. This time, his eyes rolled back in his head. He tried to lift the sword once more, his arms reaching the height of his head, hands squeezing the hilt. But his arms suddenly dropped. He gasped, opened his mouth as if to speak, and blood leaked out. I pushed hard on the lance again and he froze upright, disbelieving, as if he could not lose now, not with his prize in sight, not so close. Then, with a final grunt, Black Cross crumpled and fell onto his back. I lay there for a second, stunned that I was alive. I forced myself to my knees and crawled to the dying man, his hands wrapped around the shaft of the lance. What is it? I asked. He did not answer, only coughed. <coughs> Blood and bile. What is it? I cried. What is this thing? My wife and son died for it. I pulled the spear out of his body and held it close to the dying man's face. He coughed again, but this time it wasn't blood. He was laughing. <laughs> Do you not know? His chest wheezed. And then a thin smile. All along, you were blind? Tell me, I pulled him out of mail, before you die. You are a fool. <laughs> he coughed again and smiled. You are the richest man in Christendom and do not know it. Do you not understand what lay on those tombs for a thousand years? Do you not recognize your Savior's own blood? I stared at the ancient, blood-stained spear, my eyes almost bulging out of my head. The spear of Longinus, the centurion who had stabbed Christ while he was dying on the cross. A numbness was in my chest. My hands began to tremble. I was holding... The Holy Lance. Chapter 99 I staggered to my feet, cradling the precious relic in my hands. Emily rushed up first and threw her arms around my neck. The battle had ended and we had won. George's, Odo, and Father Leo came running towards me. 
Other people approached, cheering, dancing with joy, but I could not take my eyes from the lance. My staff, I was barely able to speak. All along, it was the holy lance. Everyone stopped, converged. A hush fell over the crowd. The holy lance, someone repeated. A ring formed around us. Murmurs of exclamation and joy. All eyes fell on the rusted blade, the tip slightly broken. Mother of God, George stepped forward, his tunic spattered with blood. Hugh has the holy lance. Finally, everyone knelt, myself included. Father Leo examined the lance without touching it, fixing on the old hardened blood upon the blade. How can they see the old hardened blood if he just stabbed somebody? With the blade. So now there's wet, fresh blood on it. I don't... In hindsight. God's grace. He shook his head with a look of wonderment in his eyes. He recited scripture from memory. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith came there out blood and water. It's a miracle, someone shouted. It's a sign, I said. Odo spoke, his coarse voice on the verge of laughter. Jesus, Hugh, were you trying to save this thing until we really needed it? I could not speak. People were shouting my name. Stephen's henchmen were dead. I did not know whether it was our will or the lance that was responsible, but either way, we had beaten them back. I looked at Emily. What a knowing smile she had, as if to say, I knew. I knew. I reached for her hand. Everyone whooped and shouted, Hugh! Lance ye a day! Lance of God. I have been saved, not once but many times. Who could understand it? What had been entrusted to me? What did God want with an innkeeper? With a jester? The Holy Lance! Everyone shouted, and I finally threw my fist in the sky. But inside I was thinking, Good Lord, Hugh, what is next? Chapter 100. What was next was bolder and more amazing than anything I could have imagined. Our victory was complete, but it came at a great cost. Thirteen of Stephen's mercenaries lay on the ground, but we had lost four of our own. Apples. Jackie, the stout and cheery milkwoman. A farmer, Henri. And Martin, the tailor. Dang, the one who was scared of everything and didn't want to do nothing died. That's messed up. Like, he was literally the one who was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And it turned out for him personally, he was absolutely right. This was not a good idea. That's messed up. Everyone else lived and he died. Like, if if I'm, if I die and I'm telling y'all it's a bad idea, I'm haunting each and every one of y'all. And I'm haunting y'all on ways you couldn't imagine. Like, I'm pouring water on your toilet paper. I mean, I don't think they used toilet paper back then. I think they just walk around dirty booty, but... Many others, like George and Alphonse, nursed messy wounds. When the smoke cleared, the body of the Toffra I had fought with the lance was nowhere to be found. He had not died after all. That's why you double tap, ladies and gentlemen. That's why. In the ensuing days, we extinguished the fires and bade goodbye to our brave fallen friends. For the first time in anyone's memory, bondmen stood up to a noble. And to the fear that we could not defend ourselves simply because they were rightly born and we weren't. Word spread fast of the fight and the lance. People from neighboring towns came to see. No one could believe it at first. Farmers and tradesmen had stood up against a noble and his men. 
Yet, I did not join much in the celebration. I spent the next several days in a troubled state atop the hill. I couldn't work at the inn. I had to make sense of what had happened. That I had picked up the lens from the dying priest's hands in Antioch. That, penniless, I now held a prize worth kingdoms. Why had I been chosen? What did God want of me? And a deeper dread hung over me. What would happen next when news of the battle reached Stephen's ears? When he learned that we possessed the prize he so desperately coveted? Or when word reached Baldwin and Triel? Had the poor tailor been right? Had I saved them from one slaughter only to lead them to another? Emily stayed with me the whole time. I looked at the lance and did not know what to do. But to her, the answer was clear. She understood what I resisted. You have to lead them, Hugh. Lead them? Lead them where, I asked. I think you know where. When Stephen hears of this, he will send more men. And Baldwin? Your village is pledged to him. He will not permit such rebellion in his domain. The stone has been pushed, Hugh. You've sought a higher destiny. Here it is. It's in your hands. I I'm just a lucky fool, I said, who picked up a silly antique, a souvenir. I'll end up the biggest fool of all time. I saw you in that costume many times, Hugh DeLuke. Emily's eyes shone brightly. And never once thought you a fool. A while back, you left this town in a quest to make yourself free. Now leave it again and free them all. I picked up the lance, weighed it like a measure in my hands. Lead them against Baldwin? Would anyone follow? Emily was right on one thing. We could not remain here. Baldwin would burst a vein when he heard the news. Stephen would send more troops, this time hundreds. Something had been started that cannot be drawn back. You will be by me? I took her hand, searched her eyes. You will not change your mind when we are standing against Baldwin's army and it's just us two? It will not be just us two, she said, crouching beside me. I think you know that, Hugh. Chapter 101 that day, I called the town together in the church. I stood at the front, in the same bloody rags I had worn in the fight, holding the lance. I took a sweeping look around the room. The place was full. The miller, Odo, even people who never went to church. Where have you been, Hugh? George stood up in his place. We've all been celebrating. Yes, that lance must be holy. Odo stood, too. Since it found you, it's been hard to even buy you an ale. Everyone laughed. Don't blame Hugh, Father Leo put in. If such a pretty maiden were visiting me, I wouldn't waste my time drinking with you clowns either. If you had such a pretty maiden, we'd all be in church a lot more often, Odo roared. Everyone laughed again. Even Emily smiled from the back. I do owe you an L, I said, acknowledging Odo. I owe you all an L for your courage. We did a great thing the other day, but the L must wait. We're not done. Damn right we're not done, Marie the miller's wife stood up. I have an end to run, and when that fat bailiff comes back, I intend to stuff him so full of squirrel droppings he pukes himself dead. And I'll be happy to serve it to him, I smiled at Marie. But the end, it has a weight too. Everyone suddenly noticed a look on my face. The laughter settled into a hush. I pray I have not drawn you in against your will, but we cannot stay here. Life will not return to the way it was. Baldwin has made a promise to all of you, and he will keep it. We have to march. March? 
voices rang out, skeptical. To where? To Triel, I answered. Baldwin will come at us with everything now. We must march against him. The church went silent. Then, one by one, people shouted up to the front. But this is our home, Jean de, a farmer, protested. All we wanted was for things to go back the way they were. Things will never go back, Jean, I said. When Baldwin hears of this, he will send his henchmen to ride down upon us with the full fury of his will. He will raise the town. You talk of marching against Triel, Jocelyn, the tanner's wife, declared. Do you see any war horses or artillery? We're just farmers and widows. No, you're not, I shook my head. You're fighters now, and in every town there are others who have farmed and toiled their entire lives only to hand over what their liege demands. And they will join us, Jocelyn sniffed. These others? Or will they just cheer and cross themselves as they march by? He was right, Odo's deep voice cut in. Baldwin will make us pay, just as the bailiff promised. It's too late to back down. He will surely take my lands anyway, Jean moaned. After what's happened here, Hugh has the lands, Alphonse said. It is a greater weapon than all the arrows in Triel. Shouts and murmurs rose around the church. Some stood in agreement, but most were afraid. I could see it in their faces. Am I a soldier? Am I fit to fight? If we march, will others follow? Suddenly, a pounding was heard from the church steps outside. People froze. Everyone in town was already inside. Then, three men stepped into the doorway. They were dressed in working hides and tunics. They knelt made the sign of the cross. We seek Hugh, the large one said, taking off his hat, the one with the lance. I am Hugh, I said from the front. The man grinned at his companions, seemingly from relief. I'm glad you truly exist. You seem more like a fable. I'm Alois, a woodsman. We have come from Morrissey. Morrissey? Morrissey was halfway between here and Triel. We heard about your fight, one of the others said. Farmers, bondsmen fighting like devils against our liege. We wanted to know if it was true. Look around. These are your devils, I said. Then I showed him the lance. Here is their pitchfork. Aloise's eyes grew wide. The holy lance. Word is that it changes things for us. That it's a sign. We couldn't just sit by and twiddle our thumbs if there was going to be a fight. My chest expanded. This is good news, Aloise. How many men do you have? I was hoping it was more than these three. Sixty-two, the woodman shouted proudly. Sixty-six, the fucking Freemasons don't back down. I looked around the church. Go back and tell your townsmen you are now 110, 114 if the fucking Masons take part. The man from Morrissey grinned at his companions again. Then he turned back. Too late for that, he said. He swung the church doors open wide. I saw a crowd in the square. Everyone rushed out of their seats to look and saw woodsmen carrying axes, farmers with hoes and spades, raggedy-looking peasants carting geese and hens. Aloise smiled. Already brought him. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Lead review on Patreon. Um, takes a few seconds. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
copy and paste that into the Good Pods app and copy and paste that into the uh, Pod Chaser app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you access to everything on the site except for the recipes of the foods that I prepare. Those will cost you 15 a month. Uh, every dollar will go towards buying books for this show and buying movies for Hindsight and uh, TV shows for the RTO Podcast Network. You can also donate at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. Or on the Good Pods app, you can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, did you say?